0: Alma 39. The next interview was with Alma's youngest son, Corianton, and this was undoubtedly as much a tribulation to Alma as it was to this young apostate son who had disgraced his mission and brought ridicule down on his father and all his fellow missionaries. But at least Corianton had come home with his father and had not remained at the beach resort with the Zoramite prostitute. Of course the big question for Alma was how to begin. Apparently all three sons were together during this series of interviews, and therefore Corianton had heard the words of commendation which Alma had just given to Shiblon— Therefore Alma chose this as a frame of reference when he began this difficult but tremendously important interview with
1: Corianton. He said, And now, my son, I have somewhat more to say unto thee than what I said unto thy brother. For behold, have ye not observed the steadiness of thy brother, his faithfulness and his diligence in keeping the commandments of God? behold, has he not set a good example for thee? For thou didst not give so much heed unto my words as did thy brother among the people of the Zoramites. Now this is what I have against thee. Thou didst go on unto boasting in thy strength and thy wisdom." Obviously
0: Alma had decided to first chastise Corianton for his arrogant and boastful spirit before he undertook to take on the miserable chore of dealing with his immorality and betrayal of his missionary
1: calling. And this is not all, my son. Thou didst do that which was grievous unto me, for thou didst forsake the ministry and did go over into the land of Siren, among the borders of the Lamanites, after the harlot Isabel. Yea, she did steal away the hearts of many. But this was no excuse for thee, my son. Thou shouldst have tended to the ministry wherewith thou wast entrusted.
0: Apparently this
1: Isabel who had flirted with Corianton and finally seduced
0: him was a notorious madam, who was known to have stolen, quote, the hearts of many, unquote. Alma therefore made no excuse or allowance for Corianton's youth and lack of judgment. He obviously believed his son had walked into this den of harlotry with his eyes wide open. Alma struck down any excuses or self-defenses that Corianton might have been building up in his mind by emphasizing God's denunciation of immorality.
1: Know ye not, my son, that these things are an abomination in the sight of the Lord? Yea, most abominable above all sins, save it be the shedding of innocent blood, or denying the Holy Ghost? For behold, if ye deny the Holy Ghost when it once has had place in you, and ye know that ye deny it, behold, this is a sin which is unpardonable, Yea, and whosoever murdereth against the light and knowledge of God, it is not easy for him to obtain forgiveness. Yea, I say unto you, my son, that it is not easy for him to obtain a forgiveness. And now, my son, I would to God that ye had not been guilty of so great a crime. I would not dwell upon your crimes to harrow up your soul if it were not for your good. But behold, ye cannot hide your crimes from God. And except ye repent, they will stand as a testimony against you at the last day. In the
0: last days there will be a great vision of history of the world. This is described in the Doctrine and Covenant, section 88 verses 108 to 110 it says that any secret sins will be fully exposed. This horribly mortifying revelation will disclose every secret sin which has not been erased by the repentance process. How grateful the saints of God will be in that day for the blotting out of their sins so they will not be shown.
1: Now, my son, I would that ye should repent and forsake your sins, and go no more after the lusts of your eyes, but cross yourself in all these things. For except ye do this, ye can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. O remember, and take it upon you, and cross yourself in these things.
0: It is apparent to Alma that Corianton has certain character weaknesses growing out of pride and passion. He therefore urges Corianton to stay close to his older brother Shiblon.
1: And I command you to take it upon you to counsel with your elder brothers in your undertakings. For behold, thou art in thy youth, and ye stand in need to be nourished by your brothers, and give heed to their counsel. Suffer not yourself to be led away by any vain or foolish thing. Suffer not the devil to lead away your heart again after those wicked harlots. Behold, O my son, how great iniquity ye brought upon the Zoramites, for when they saw your conduct, they would not believe in my words. Now the Spirit of the Lord begins talking to Alma,
0: and gives him commandments concerning his children.
1: And now the Spirit of the Lord doth say unto me, Command thy children to do good, lest they lead away the hearts of many people to destruction. Therefore I command you, my son, in the fear of God, that ye refrain from your iniquities, that ye turn to the Lord with all your mind, might, and strength, that ye lead away the hearts of no more to do wickedly but rather return unto them, and acknowledge your faults and that wrong which ye have done. Seek not after riches nor the vain things of this world, for behold, you cannot carry them with you. Alma knows that in the final analysis,
0: a living testimony of the coming of Christ is the central point of focus that will make the difference in the lives of his children therefore he
1: says and now my son i would say somewhat unto you concerning the coming of christ behold i say unto you that it is he that surely shall come to take away the sins of the world yea he cometh to declare glad tidings of salvation unto his people and now my son this was the ministry unto which ye were called to declare these glad tidings unto this people, to prepare their minds, or rather that salvation might come unto them, that they may prepare the minds of their children to hear the word at the time of his coming.
0: Apparently the spirit whispered to Alma that his son was troubled with a question concerning Christ. Therefore Alma addressed this question and says,
1: And now I will ease your mind somewhat on this subject. Behold, you marvel why these things should be known so long beforehand. Behold, I say unto you, is not a soul at this time as precious unto God as a soul will be at the time of his coming? Is it not as necessary that the plan of redemption should be made known unto this people as well as unto their children?' Is it not as easy at this time for the Lord to send his angel to declare these glad tidings unto us as unto our children, or as after the time of his coming?
0: Alma chapter 40 As we previously mentioned, there is an interesting three-way conversation going on during this time. It includes Alma, Corianton, and the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit whispers to Alma the principles of the gospel which are disturbing to Corianton. In this first verse, Alma reveals to Corianton that the Spirit has made him aware of one of Corianton's
1: major questions. He says, Now, my son, here is somewhat more I would say unto thee. For I perceive that thy mind is worried concerning the resurrection of the dead. Alma begins the
0: discussion by warning Corianton that he knows certain things about the resurrection, but there are some things he doesn't know. In verse 2 he makes it clear that nobody will be resurrected until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ.
1: Behold, I say unto you, that there is no resurrection... Or I would say, in other words, that this mortal does not put on immortality, this corruption does not put on incorruption until after the coming of Christ.
0: Of course, everyone would like to know when they will be resurrected, but Alma wants to make it clear that he has never been shown the order of the resurrection. He feels it is sufficient to know that eventually all mankind will be resurrected from the dead.
1: Behold, he bringeth to pass the resurrection of the dead. But behold, my son, the resurrection is not yet. Now I unfold unto you a mystery. Nevertheless, there are many mysteries which are kept, that no one knoweth them, save God himself. But I show unto you one thing, which I have inquired diligently of God, that I might know, that is concerning the resurrection. Behold, There is a time appointed that all shall come forth from the dead. Now when this time cometh no one knows, but God knoweth the time which is appointed. Now whether there shall be one time, or a second time, or a third time, that men shall come forth from the dead, it mattereth not. For God knoweth all these things, and it sufficeth me to know that this is the case that there is a time appointed that all shall rise from the dead.
0: Now Alma moves toward another question which seems to be troubling Corianton. It is simply the question of, quote, what happens to us when we die, unquote. Then there is the related question, quote, what happens to the soul between the time of death and the time of the resurrection, unquote.
1: Now there must needs be a space betwixt the time of death and the time of the resurrection. Now I would inquire, what becometh of the souls of men from this time of death to the time appointed for the resurrection? Now whether there is more than one time appointed for men to rise, it mattereth not. For all do not die at once, and this mattereth not, all is as one day with God and time only is measured unto men. Therefore there is a time appointed unto men, that they shall rise from the dead. And there is a space between the time of death and the resurrection. And now concerning this space of time, what becometh of the souls of men is the thing which I have inquired diligently of the Lord to know. And this is the thing of which I do know. And when the time cometh, when all shall rise, then shall they know that God knoweth all the times which are appointed unto man." At last, down we get to
0: round to the question of what happens when we die. He first covered those
1: who have lived righteous lives, and says, Now concerning the state of the soul between death and the resurrection, Behold, it has been made known unto me by an angel that the spirits of all men, As soon as they are departed from this mortal body, yea, the spirits of all men, whether they be good or evil, are taken home to that God who gave them life. And then shall it come to pass that the spirits of those who are righteous are received into a state of happiness, which is called paradise, a state of rest, a state of peace, where they shall rest from all their troubles and from all care and sorrow.
0: Next he describes what the angel told him concerning the wicked.
1: And then shall it come to pass that the spirits of the wicked, yea, who are evil, for behold, they have no part nor portion of the spirit of the Lord. For behold, they chose evil works rather than good. Therefore the spirit of the devil did enter into them and take possession of their house and these shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, and this because of their own iniquity, being led captive by the will of the devil. Now this is the state of the souls of the wicked, yea, in darkness, and a state of awful fearful looking for the fiery indignation of the wrath of God upon them, Thus they remain in this state, as well as the righteous in Paradise, until the time of their resurrection."
0: We need to stop at this point and mention that since the restoration of the Gospel, we have received some interesting details in addition to those mentioned by Alma. For example, the spirits of the wicked are not immediately confined to a place of suffering if they have never heard the Gospel. They are first assigned to a place of training where they get to hear a thorough explanation of the principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they are given an opportunity to embrace the gospel. If they accept it, their sins are forgiven them, and they are treated as though they had accepted the gospel while in the flesh. Of course, their vicarious ordinances in the temple will have to come later. Meanwhile, what about those who are told all about the gospel but flatly reject it? These are the wicked who go to the place which Alma has just described. They must suffer for their own sins to the uttermost farthing. However, they only suffer until they have satisfied the demands of justice, and then they are considered redeemed from their sins, and God can then begin using them according to their various capacities and inclinations to fulfill his purposes. God's program for the redemption of the wicked is described in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verses 36 to 38. There is also one other new doctrine associated with the preaching of the gospel to the dead, and that is the fact that those who heard the gospel during earth life but rejected it actually get a chance to hear it again in the spirit world. And, if they accept it there, they can inherit a terrestrial glory. However, having rejected the gospel the first time they heard it, they can never inherit the celestial kingdom. This is set forth in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, verses 74 to 78. Alma wants to make it clearly understood that being ushered into the spirit world is not by any means a resurrection. The resurrection refers exclusively to the uniting of the body and the spirit at a later time.
1: Now there are some that have understood that this state of happiness and this state of misery of the soul before the resurrection was a first resurrection. Yea, I admit it may be termed a resurrection, the raising of the spirit or the soul and their consignation to happiness or misery according to the words which have been spoken. And behold, again it hath been spoken that there is a first resurrection, a resurrection of all those who have been, or who are, or who shall be, down to the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Now, we do not suppose that this first resurrection, which is spoken of in this manner, can be the resurrection of the souls and their consignation to happiness or misery, Ye cannot suppose that this is what it meaneth. Behold, I say unto you, nay. But it meaneth the reuniting of the soul with the body of those from the days of Adam down to the resurrection of Christ.
0: As we mentioned earlier, even though Alma knew eventually all mankind would be resurrected, he did not know the order in which it would occur. Nevertheless, he gives it as his opinion. That the righteous who lived before Christ would be resurrected shortly after the Savior came forth from the grave. The other resurrections would follow in due time.
1: Now, whether the souls and the bodies of those of whom has been spoken shall all be reunited at once, the wicked as well as the righteous, I do not say. Let it suffice that I say that they all come forth, or, in other words, their resurrection cometh to pass before the resurrection of those who die after the resurrection of christ now my son i do not say that their resurrection cometh at the resurrection of christ but behold i give it as my opinion that the souls and the bodies are reunited of the righteous at the resurrection of christ and his ascension into heaven alma is extremely cautious in declaring what he knows
0: and what he does not yet know in this next verse, he goes back to his first reference to the fact that there must be a space between death and the resurrection in order to prepare mankind for the resurrection and the final judgment.
1: But whether it be at his resurrection or after, I do not say, but this much I say that there is a space between death and the resurrection of the body, and a state of the soul in happiness or in misery, until the time which is appointed of God that the dead shall come forth and be reunited both soul and body, and be brought to stand before God and be judged according to their works.
0: Alma wants Corianton to appreciate that the resurrection is a literal restoration of the body and the soul to be reunited
1: forever. Yea, this bringeth about the restoration of those things of which has been spoken by the mouths of the prophets. The soul shall be restored to the body, and the body to the soul. Yea, and every limb and joint shall be restored to its body. Yea, even a hair of the head shall not be lost. But all things shall be restored to their proper and perfect frame. And now, my son, this is the restoration of which has been spoken by the mouths of the prophets.
0: Alma then concludes with his tribute to the righteous and their status in heaven compared with those who refuse to embrace the gospel and therefore have to pay for their own sins in purgatory. They are required to drink the dregs from the cup of punishment until they have paid the uttermost farthing.
1: And then shall the righteous shine forth in the kingdom of God. But behold, an awful death cometh upon the wicked, for they die as to things pertaining to things of righteousness, for they are unclean, and no unclean thing can inherit the kingdom of God. But they are cast out, and consigned to partake of the fruits of their labors, or their works, which have been evil. And they drink the dregs of a bitter cup,
0: Now Alma 41. In the previous chapter we mentioned the restoration which comes with the resurrection of the dead. Corianton heard his father say the righteous are restored to things pertaining to righteousness, while the wicked are restored to the fruits of their own evil ways. The spirit whispered to Alma that Corianton, who disgraced himself with the harlot Isabel while on his mission, is deeply disturbed by the doctrine of the resurrection where we are restored to the fruits of the kind of life we have lived whether they were good or evil of course corianton has been taught the doctrine of repentance and forgiveness but he wants to know more about this doctrine of restoration
1: and now my son i have somewhat to say concerning the restoration of which has been spoken for behold, some have rested the scriptures, and have gone far astray because of this thing. And I perceive that thy mind has been worried also concerning this thing, but behold, I will explain it unto thee.
0: Alma doesn't hesitate to let Corianton know that he is fully aware of the problem which is troubling his son. He also says he will do his best to explain the doctrine of the restoration.
1: I say unto thee, my son, that the plan of restoration is requisite with the justice of God, for it is requisite that all things should be restored to their proper order. Behold, it is requisite and just, according to the power and resurrection of Christ, that the soul of man should be restored to its body, and that every part of the body should be restored to itself."
0: Alma points out that the justice of God requires that in the physical resurrection every part of the body must be restored to
1: its proper place. And it is requisite with the justice of God that men should be judged according to their works, and if their works were good in this life, and the desires of their hearts were good, that they should also at the last day be restored unto that which is good.
0: It is also requisite that God's restoration process be in accordance with the quality of life a person has lived. Thus a person who has repented of his weaknesses and followed the desires of his heart to live righteously should receive a resurrection which will reward him with an eternal life
1: which is good. And if their works are evil, they shall be restored unto them for evil. Therefore, all things shall be restored to their proper order, everything to its natural frame, mortality raised to immortality, corruption to incorruption raised to endless happiness to inherit the kingdom of God, or to endless misery to inherit the kingdom of the devil, the one on one hand, the other on the other the one raised to happiness according to his desires of happiness, or good according to his desires of good, and the other to evil according to his desires of evil. For as he has desired to do evil all the day long, even so shall he have his reward of evil when the night cometh. Nevertheless, those who
0: anxiously follow a pattern of evil all the days of their lives will be subject to Satan in a world of darkness and suffering for a certain period of time, until they have paid the uttermost farthing. This doctrine of the eventual redemption of the wicked is something we have discussed earlier.
1: And so it is, on the other hand. If he hath repented of his sins and desired righteousness until the end of his days, even so he shall be rewarded unto righteousness, These are they that are redeemed of the Lord. Yea, these are they that are taken out, that are delivered from that endless night of darkness. And thus they stand or fall. For behold, they are their own judges, whether to do good or do evil.
0: It is obvious that Alma wishes to keep before the eyes of Corianton the marvelous doctrine of repentance and forgiveness. This is the only way to avoid a resurrection into the long night of darkness and suffering, and eventually being restored to a life far below the restoration of the righteous.
1: Now the decrees of God are unalterable. Therefore the way is prepared that whosoever will may walk therein and be saved. And now behold, my son do not risk one more offense against your God upon those points of doctrine which ye have hitherto risked to commit sin. Now Alma comes right to the point. Corianton must
0: never again risk his salvation and subject himself to the unalterable decrees of God concerning the wicked by again allowing the temptation of immorality to engulf him.
1: Do not suppose, because it has been spoken concerning restoration, that ye shall be restored from sin to happiness? Behold, I say unto you, wickedness never was happiness.
0: Alma is focusing on a widespread misconception that if a person could just get out of this life with all of its pressures and complexities then an individual could emerge into a pleasant, peaceful life in heaven. In fact, one of the greatest temptations of a person with suicidal tendencies is the belief that by taking one's own life, a person can somehow escape from a state of bitterness and sorrow in this life and go into an existence of bliss and happiness. But of course, this does not happen. Suicide only makes the whole situation worse.
1: And now, my son, all men that are in a state of nature, or I would say in a carnal state, are in the gall of bitterness and in the bonds of iniquity. They are without God in the world, and they have gone contrary to the nature of God. Therefore, they are in a state contrary to the nature of happiness. And now, behold, is the meaning of the word restoration to take a thing of a natural state and place it in an unnatural state, or to place it in a state opposite to its nature? When Alma speaks
0: of the, quote, state of nature, unquote, he is speaking of those who indulge all of their animal instincts to gratify their passions and pleasures. They then think they can pass over into a life of righteousness and blissful happiness when they die. But in answer to this, Alma says,
1: O my son, this is not the case. But the meaning of the word restoration is to bring back again evil for evil, or carnal for carnal, or devilish for devilish, good for that which is good, righteous for that which is righteous, just for that which is just, merciful for that which is merciful.
0: Now Alma emphasizes the positive aspects of the
1: doctrine of restoration. He says, "'Therefore, my son, see that you are merciful unto your brethren, deal justly, judge righteously, and do good continually. And if ye do all these things, then shall ye receive your reward. Yea, ye shall have mercy restored unto you again. Ye shall have justice restored unto you again. Ye shall have a righteous judgment restored unto you again.' and ye shall have good rewarded unto you again. For that which ye do send out shall return unto you again, and be restored. Therefore the word restoration more fully condemneth the sinner, and justifieth him not at all.
0: Alma chapter 42 It must have been rather amazing to Corianton to have his father virtually read his mind and then begin discussing subjects which were troubling him. Of course, he would have no way of knowing that Alma was listening to the whisperings of the Spirit. Alma's opening statement reveals that he knew his son was really mixed up concerning the justice of God.
1: And now, my son, I perceive there is somewhat more which doth worry your mind, which ye cannot understand which is concerning the justice of God in the punishment of the sinner. For ye do try to suppose that it is injustice that the sinner should be consigned to a state of misery.
0: Corianton's belief that it was unjust for God to punish sinners certainly indicates a spoiled, twisted, self-indulgent personality. The discovery of such irrational and confused thinking in Corianton may have come as a shock to Alma, since he had spent nearly all of his time during the growing up years of Corianton trying to manage the affairs of the church, and going on frequent missionary assignments to suppress the elements of apostasy which kept springing up continuously among the branches of the church. Apparently Alma recognized that this son had very little comprehension of the gospel— and he therefore set out to give Corianton a basic course in the gospel plan.
1: Now behold, my son, I will explain this thing unto thee. For behold, after the Lord God sent our first parents forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence they were taken, yea, he drew out the man, and placed at the east end of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the tree of life.
0: Actually, this verse is covering a lot of ground. No doubt Alma explained the details to Corianton so that he would know that the fall exposed Adam and Eve to a vast array of new feelings and new instincts. God's task was to teach the first parents how to cope with these feelings and keep them under control. During earth life, they had to learn the difference between good and evil through actual experience. Of course, the tree of life would have nullified these feelings and brought the learning experience to a screeching halt. That is why the flaming sword had to guard the way to the tree of life so Adam and Eve would not be tempted to partake of it.
1: Now we see that the man had become as God, knowing good and evil and lest he should put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever, the Lord God placed cherubim and the flaming sword, that he should not partake of the fruit. The genius of the Lord's
0: plan was letting Adam and Eve experiment, and when they made mistakes and ignored the counsels of God, they would have a period of what we call suspended judgment. Which would give them time to recognize their mistake and repent and turn back before it was too late. Of course, if they refused to recognize their mistakes, there had to be an appropriate punishment so they would not repeat the same mistake in the future. Now, it was this punishment of evil that Corianton had thought was unjust. Alma wanted Corianton to appreciate that the punishment was the vital key to the
1: learning process. Learning the difference between good and evil. And thus we see that there was a time granted unto man to repent, yea, a probationary time, a time to repent and serve God. For behold, if Adam had put forth his hand immediately and partaken of the tree of life, he would have lived forever according to the word of God, having no space for repentance yea, and also the word of God would have been void, and the great plan of salvation would have been frustrated. The Lord also wanted the first parents
0: to know that it was very important for them to gradually deteriorate and eventually die. Of course, during this process, mankind is free and independent. To choose that which leads to perpetuating life, or that which hastens the coming of death.
1: But behold, it was appointed unto man to die. Therefore as they were cut off from the tree of life, they should be cut off from the face of the earth. And man became lost forever, yea, they became fallen man. And now ye see by this, that our first parents were cut off both temporally and spiritually from the presence of the Lord. And thus we see... They became subjects to follow after their own will.
0: Most men want to somehow avoid physical death and live forever, but that would defeat God's plan. It was God's purpose to let the physical death take place and prepare the way for the Spirit to be redeemed first. In the Doctrine and Covenants we learn that it's the glory of the redeemed Spirit which determines the
1: glory of the resurrected body. Now behold, it was not expedient that man should be reclaimed from this temporal death, for that would destroy the great plan of happiness. Therefore, as the soul could never die, and the fall had brought upon all mankind a spiritual death as well as a temporal, that is, they were cut off from the presence of the Lord, it was expedient that mankind should be reclaimed from this spiritual death. Therefore, as they had become carnal, sensual, and devilish by nature, this probationary state became a state for them to prepare. It became a preparatory state. But how could the
0: spirit be reclaimed or redeemed by God after it had indulged itself in everything carnal, sensual, and devilish? It is obvious that all during earth life the Spirit must be trained to repent, reform, and prepare itself for the future life.
1: And now remember, my son, if it were not for the plan of redemption, laying it aside, as soon as they were dead their souls were miserable, being cut off from the presence of the Lord. And now there was no means to reclaim men from this fallen state, which man had brought upon himself because of his own disobedience. Alma now comes to the kernel of Corianton's
0: problem. He said that if men were redeemed without punishment for his sins, or required to repent and gain forgiveness, it would be unjust. And then he dropped a scriptural bombshell on Corianton. He said if justice were destroyed or ignored by God, he would cease to be God. Notice that Alma sets forth this doctrine without any explanation, but we have already covered it extensively in discussing Alma chapter 34. Then Alma goes on to repeat it again in verse 22 and verse 25, that God could cease to be God if he was not just and honest and forthright. Moroni repeats it in Mormon 9 and 19. It was not until modern times that we learned the intimate relationship between God and the great body of intelligences who love and obey him. However, if the Father violated the confidence of these intelligences and they ceased to obey him, then the Father would no longer have any power, and without power he would cease to be God
1: therefore according to justice the plan of redemption could not be brought about only on conditions of repentance of men in this probationary state yea this preparatory state for except it were for these conditions mercy could not take effect except it should destroy the work of justice now the work of justice could not be destroyed if so god would cease to be god and thus we see that all mankind were fallen and they were in the grasp of justice yea the justice of god which consigned them forever to be cut off from his presence
0: because god is committed to sustain the principles of justice he could not
1: redeem or save his people himself and now the plan of mercy could not be brought about except an atonement should be made. Therefore God himself atoneth for the sins of the world, to bring about the plan of mercy, to appease the demands of justice, that God might be a perfect, just God, and a merciful God also. However, the
0: amazing plan of the atonement, based on mercy rather than justice, is able to appease the demands of justice and redeem mankind.
1: Now repentance could not come unto men, except there were a punishment, which also was eternal as the life of the soul should be, affixed opposite to the plan of happiness, which was as eternal also as the life of the soul.
0: God's mercy resulting from the atonement cannot redeem any person unless they repent. Alma now wants to explain the importance of law in God's scheme of things. Now,
1: how could a man repent except he should sin? How could he sin if there was no law? How could there be a law save there was a punishment? Now, there was a punishment affixed and a just law given which brought remorse of conscience unto man. Now, if there was no law given... If a man murdered he should die, would he be afraid he would die if he should murder? And also, if there was no law given against sin, men would not be afraid to sin. And if there was no law given if men sinned, what could justice do or mercy either? For they would have no claim upon the creature.
0: Alma next points out how law, justice, punishment, repentance, and mercy... All work together in God's great
1: plan of redemption. But there is a law given, and a punishment affixed, and a repentance granted, which repentance mercy claimeth. Otherwise, justice claimeth the creature, and executeth the law, and the law inflicteth the punishment. If not so, the works of justice would be destroyed, and God would cease to be God.
0: Although the Lord said he must
1: maintain the
0: support of the myriad of intelligences or he would cease to be God, the fact is that he knows how to combine all these forces together so he will never cease to be God. But God ceaseth not
1: to be God, and mercy claimeth the penitent, and mercy cometh because of the atonement, and the atonement bringeth to pass the resurrection of the dead and the resurrection of the dead bringeth back men into the presence of god and thus they are restored into his presence to be judged according to their works according to the law and justice for behold justice exerciseth all his demands and also mercy claimeth all which is her own and thus none but the truly penitent are saved What do ye suppose that mercy can rob justice? I say unto you, Nay, not one whit. If so, God would cease to be God. And thus God bringeth about his great and eternal purposes, which were prepared from the foundation of the world. And thus cometh about the salvation and the redemption of men, and also their destruction and misery.
0: Notice that God's elaborate plan of redemption was not a trial and error experiment. It was worked out in the most perfect detail before the foundation of the world. Alma knows that the complexities of the plan of salvation may perplex his son Corianton, but he knows it is the only way to enjoy redemption and eternal life, and that is why he is taking so much time
1: and effort to explain it to him. Therefore, O my son, whosoever will come, may come and partake of the waters of life freely. And whosoever will not come, the same is not compelled to come. But in the last day it shall be restored unto him according to his deeds. If he has desired to do evil, and has not repented in his days, behold, evil shall be done unto him according to the restoration of God. Now, my son, I desire that ye should let these things trouble you no more. And only let your sins trouble you with that trouble which shall bring you down unto repentance. Alma now makes his supreme heartfelt appeal to Corianton. O my son, I desire that ye should deny the justice of God no more. Do not endeavor to excuse yourself in the least point because of your sins. By denying the justice of god but do you let the justice of god and his mercy and his long suffering have full sway in your heart and let it bring you down to the dust in humility
0: it must have been a relief to corianton to know that he was not cast off but was still under his missionary calling to preach the gospel of course the big question was whether or not he would respond We get the answer in verses such as Alma 63, verses 1 and 2. We learn that with the passing of Helaman, both Shiblon and Corianton were in the front ranks of the church leadership to carry on.
1: And now, O my son, ye are called of God to preach the word unto this people. And now, my son, go thy way, declare the word with truth and soberness, that thou mayest bring souls unto repentance. That the great plan of mercy may have claim upon them. And may God grant unto you, even according to my words. Amen. If you liked this podcast and would
0: like more materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find his other books and recordings at SkousenLibrary.com or at your local LDS bookstore.